Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them, the Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Jack Myers. Today's topic, the generational shift in media agencies and the impact on innovation and relationships. Now, Jack has been involved in or reporting on media for his most of his business career, including positions as a chairman and founder of the Myers Report, which is 40 years in publication, the founder of Media Village, and he describes himself as a media ecologist. And we're going to hear what that's all about in a little bit. Uh, but he's going to talk about what's going on in what is a super rapidly changing frontier. Full disclosure, I've known Jack for a number of years as our past crossed when we were both advisors to market share partners. Welcome, Jack. Thank you, Mike. One of the one of the few advisory roles that actually had a payout, uh, Mike. So I, I'm 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 honored to to be with you. That's, there you go. I'm sure. Uh, well, anyways, all right, Jack. Why don't we start? Give us an overview of the media landscape and marketplace writ large. Like, what are you seeing today? You've been studying it forever. What's going on right now? I guess the best way to describe the media landscape today, first of all, it's an ecosystem that includes. The brand marketers, obviously, the advertisers, the agencies, uh, the sales organizations, publishers, content producers, uh, and the entertainment community. And the word disruption is not strong enough to describe the reality of the industry today. Neither is transformation or transition. It's metamorphosis. It's like the, you know, the, the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, leaving a lot of husks on the ground. And that's where the media industry is today. Uh, we're going to see more and more husks on the ground, more and more consolidation, more and more contraction, more and more failure, more and more startups. Uh, AI is obviously uh, ha going to have and already having a tremendous impact. The strikes that we've seen from the Writers Guild and the SAG and AFTRA, uh, the challenges across the industry financially. Uh, I, I think we're, 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 you know, do we go from a sense of, of risk to a sense of fear to a sense of panic? Or do we begin to feel optimism or do we take the kind of the pessimistic overview that we're experiencing today and, and begin to actually have the optimism that a lot of people talk about as we're, you know, uh, moving uh, into 2024. So uh, I'd say the challenges, Mike, that that we're seeing are across the board. Uh, everyone involved in the ecosystem is concerned, uh, challenged. For me, the biggest opportunity is for an industry that for 100 years has been competing with itself, competing internally for share, 
uh, for to find growth by taking it from someone else to come together with one voice, one voice focused on growth, one voice for a rising tide, uh, a blue ocean scenario. And that's what's been lacking in our industry. Can I go back? The husk on the ground, the husks on the ground thing is such a dramatic picture. Is this controlled uh, change at all or is this chaos? Oh, this is chaos. Okay, so we're saying the media industry is in chaos. Okay. I think that's aspirational to be in chaos, actually. <laughs> okay, so it's worse <laughs> than chaos. All right, so I, I know you just did a really broad survey of media agencies all over the place. You know, I, I, I know it's hundreds of agencies. Tell us how you did it and what are the key conclusions that came out of this? And then we're going to go back to chaos. As you know, Mike, the Myers report you mentioned 40 year uh, in 2024, our 40-year uh, anniversary of doing research in the ad community on perceptions of the advertising business, advertising sales organizations. Uh, we've had the advantage for the last couple of years of partnering with the major agency holding companies, a growing number of independent agencies, the 4As, uh, the ANA, American okay. Marketing Association, to be able to be gathering intelligence this year from 4,200 respondents, 3,400 agency respondents that were able to parse literally down to first party data on individuals uh, on what their perceptions are, what their attitudes are, what their issues are. Uh, we, we've gathered intelligence on over 100 media sales organizations, all the major programmatic companies, the major research companies. So we have probably more intelligence right now from, from our research uh, than any other source about where the industry is and where it's well, headed. Give us, those, give us those conclusions. Like, let's go right to the conclusions. I'm going to stipulate that the research is deep and great. Tell us what you're concluding. Well, you, you know, you, you started out by saying the topic today is generational, and we've been tracking this for more than a decade, and it's why uh, such a big part of uh, the my business today is the Media Village Education Foundation, which is really focused in on the generational changes that are taking place. So 65% of the respondents uh, of agency professionals today are female. 62% uh, of, of media agency professionals have been in the business fewer than eight years. Uh, Wait, over, how many are fewer than eight years? 62% of the oh, media agency employees fewer. have been in the business fewer than eight years. 35% fewer than three years. And of that 35% in the business fewer than three years, 20% have direct reports. They have management responsibility. A large percentage are doing strategy. And if you think about those in the business fewer than three years, they they started during COVID. Right. So they don't even have those personal relationships. So I would say the big finding is that we're an industry uh, that's moving more and more to automation, more and more to programmatic. We're seeing that in the numbers and relationships uh, are, are, are a premium today, harder to get, harder to develop uh, for sales organizations. Uh, the number, I would say the biggest findings are that every media agency, the major media agencies, the independents, those involved with local versus national, it's it's a challenge for any sales organization to actually understand who its client is. 
because every client, every buyer, every planner has their own detailed sets of goals, guidelines, and responsibilities. So targeting is no longer mass in B2B, just like it's no longer mass in consumer marketing. For example, uh, we ask them to identify uh, among the 12 major factors contributing to uh, media strategy. Uh, what are their priorities? Number one, not surprisingly, is large audience reach. Number two is uh, is uh, brand safety. Uh, but number three is contextual relevance uh, in relationship to the content. And number four is innovation and creativity. The number one problem that buyers, planners, strategists have is they don't have access to where the innovation and opportunity and contextual opportunities are because they're so embedded in data. Hey, just, okay. So I'm going to follow on with two questions, but what you just said and see if I get the summary right is this has become a arm's length relationship kind of story driven a lot by math and individual math at that. But as you run down the chain of what people want, contextual relevance, and I think you you should explain what you mean by that, and then innovation and what innovation looks like to all these people, that stuff is going to be at counter odds a lot with having no relationship and being a math, a pure math run function, maybe. Is that right? Is that a good summary? Well, make sure I come back to the contextual relevance question. Okay. But yes, that's a good summary. That that uh, you know, with uh, with data dependence, we stop thinking, and when we start when we stop thinking, uh, we stop innovating, we stop creating, and we stop building meaningful relationships. All we do is look at the math, and that's where our industry has been heading. Uh, and that's a, a transactional commoditization that I think is destructive. So, so let's go to let's let's uh, do contextual relevance just for our listeners. What exactly do you mean by that? And then we're going to go to innovation and how to make innovation work in the face of it's all about the math. So, contextual relevance first. Well, if your audience wants to go to meetingprep.ai and just type in uh, the context. The context conundrum. I published Don't do a piece. that while you're listening to the show, though. I published <laughs> I, I published that uh, in last November, and uh, uh, it's a it's a deep drill down into what I call the context conundrum. What is contextual relevance today in in media, and how do you find it? Uh, you know, the idea that content is important. Uh, you know, in the up network TV upfront presentations, they hardly show any content anymore. The idea right. of content and, and, and contextual relevance would be if I'm selling some like if I'm Under Armour or Nike or whatever, I and I want to be in a sports game. That's great contextual relevance for me versus being on the Housewives of Atlanta or something. Yeah, it's also if you're targeting uh, the Hispanic audience, you're on the the, the Spanish speaking networks. If you're targeting a black, whatever, you're on yeah. black owned and black operated content. Uh, you're you're in relevant content and digitally, especially that's been lost with Facebook and TikTok. Although it's coming back with TikTok and videos because 
the influencer marketplace is a fast-growing marketplace and is going to continue to grow because advertisers are looking for contextual relevance. And the influencer thing is about as contextually relevant as you can get, right? Um, it, it can be, not all the time, but yeah. Okay, let's go to innovation now, because what you said was the more we rely on math and the less we have relationships and the more we are working on this only from a spreadsheet, the less innovation we're going to do, which I think is probably true about a lot of things. How do you even get past that, though? And what does innovation really look like to a, a bunch of people that have only that are, are living off of the spreadsheet right now, particularly in the face of all these companies demanding more efficiency for less money? What does innovation really look like? You, you've just kind of summed it all up right there in that content. Uh, you know, the brand manager says to the in-house agency or to the media agency and to the creative agency, you know, here, here's the audience we're targeting. And we, we want to be uh, we want to have some innovation in our plan. We want to have something that's unusual, something that differentiates us, sets us apart from our competition. And maybe they say we have 10% of our budget for that. Uh, so all of a sudden you have a buyer. Uh, the buyer is told, build some differentiation in, build some innovation, some creativity in, or the creative people, but they don't have access to that brand manager. They're talking to the in-house agency, the account executive, and, and they're responsible for delivering efficiencies to the procurement and purchasing team exactly what you just said. So they have this con conundrum. How do they deliver creativity, innovation in a marketplace where they're locked into cost efficiency? So how do you do this? Because what you just painted is a pretty bleak picture. We're going to go to the dentist for an uplift after this if I'm at a media house. Which I wouldn't say it's bleak. I would just say it's a real picture. So how do you deal with it? All right. So I'm, uh, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to get some innovation going, but I don't actually have access to a lot of people that are going to push on the innovation. And I'm surrounded by a bunch of math that actually doesn't want to measure the innovation or can't measure the innovation. What should I do as a marketer or a media lead to actually find true innovation? Well, first of all, if you're the buyer or planner, you're going to go, you're going to take the simple route and you are going to go to Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, you're going to find the influencer. You're going to find a little something that's different, but that fits into the plan, fits into the efficiencies, fits into the budget. So that's why we're seeing growth in, in those marketplaces, and we'll continue to see growth. If you're a more legacy, traditional media player, and you're going in with the same story every year, the same pitch, one size fits all, you're, you're not even going to get an audience to hear your pitch. So you've got to gather intelligence, market knowledge to know each client's goals. And the only way you do that is to, to do your research. That's what we're doing. We're delivering that research. Well, I need, as a media, the best I've had, and where we have had a couple of them, where I've had one on the show and one coming up, is they actually spend a lot of time with the team on the strategy and understanding the actual fringe. But where is where are you seeing the innovation now when you look across the 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 media uh, ecosystem? Where 
is the innovation that isn't like just, okay, we're all going to do an influencer or we're all going to do this or we're all going to TikTok. Where's the real innovation coming from? You know, it's 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 not, frankly. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of it. You know, there are a lot of companies that are trying. I mean, certainly we saw at NBCU over the last decade, they they saw innovation by be, by focusing on data and research. I think where we've seen the most innovation is in the data. And, and yeah, it's in the math. It's in the math model. Math. People are building that, to get better yield. But it's all yield math. It's yeah. self-destructive. It, you're, 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 you're investing. You look at innovation and creativity by the media sellers, whether it be the, the legacy companies, the new companies. Where every area, say every sales organization in our industry has gone through significant cuts in their budget. They've had to cut back people. They've had to cut back their B2B marketing. They've had to cut back their investments in innovation and creativity. They've had to cut back on creative studios. The only place where their budgets have grown is in their research budget because they've had to invest not only more in the basic currencies, but in all these alternative currencies and that's where innovation, unfortunately, all of that is serving the client's needs for greater efficiency, which is driving down the value of the marketplace. So we have been, as an industry, investing in what Joseph Schumpeter called creative destruction, you know? And, and the only way you pull out of it is reinvesting in real innovation and creativity and invest and that requires an investment in education which is our industry in our industry is almost non-existent and is anybody is anybody that you see out there that you want to call out as they are on the innovation edge that isn't just a math model and the math look the math models are great i've used them at my companies where you just get a lot better yield because you have great personal audience penetration for your brand and you know you can you can you can probably do a lot better but it is just a deeper math model. Um, is anybody on on the front end of in innovation in your mind here that you want to toss out that people can look at? Well, let's take it out of the the digital players who who are you know innovating in content and other areas. Sure, uh, but the challenge is a lot of the the ways that they're innovating are in, in areas where there's the least amount of of opportunity or potential and where it's more challenging. The, the content studios that have been developed at NBCU, at Disney, at AMC networks, at A&E networks, uh, the, uh, are, have, have, are saying, we're gonna help you with the creative, with, with contextually relevant content and advertising and media placements. Uh, there's certainly been innovation in integrating across multiple platforms and trying to create uh, a marketplace. The challenge is that they haven't yet taken it, other, Disney with their ESPN and focusing on sports, putting their sports together, I think is a good example of where innovation is needed. Instead of aggregating uh, all the impressions across multiple platforms and saying, we have data to find your buyer across all of our content platforms, to say, here are our common content platforms where you can invest contextually and have a relevant environment for your message. That's not happening yet. And I think that's give us, a, give us an example of what you just said, which is instead of saying, look, I'm going to deliver this target audience by 24 to 
40 or whatever, college educated, whatever, across all my platforms, you just actually said there's there's actually a different way to look at this. Give me an example of what you just made. Well, I would say I would say Vivo, uh WMX, uh music is is where we're seeing that most, where where you can actually pick a genre of music that people love and say, all right, we want our ads to be in this genre, whether it be uh hip hop, uh big band. You can you can target an audience by their passions. I also think we're we're seeing it at Netflix, where you can pick a certain you know if they haven't developed it, they should. But where you can pick a director, an actor, and say let's go let's go there. Huh, interesting. So let's talk a little bit about you mentioned brand safety in the survey. What's going on there? And you know, I, I, it, it seems to me like everyone talks about it, but there's and everyone's doing their best on it. But if you're going to have 10 gazillion incidences, it, it, again, it's like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. They always get out. You're going to have an issue. Tell me what's going on there. That's that's news and brand safety. You've just you've just described the reality. It's it's a lot of talk, no action. Uh, you know, people, uh, every every buyer, every planner, every strategist uh, at, at the agencies are required to be concerned. Uh, the clients say that's the agency's job, so they don't need to be concerned about brand safety. And there's an acceptance. You know, when I when I was selling uh, many years ago television advertising, you know, there was an acceptance. There's a two uh, two percent flaw factor where where you're going to screw up two percent of the time. And so you know, and it wasn't it wasn't efficient. It wasn't cost efficient to go in and find that two percent and get the credit for it. It cost you more to find it, and that's where the brand safety is now. They're willing to talk about it, but not pay for it. Yeah, and I, I honestly, if you're going to have this many interactions, you could. I don't know that you could get to a quadruple nine um, and and eliminate all the all the content risk. It's content. You know, is- brand, brand safety is a dual edged sword too, because as a result of brand safety concerns, a lot of advertisers are not using news, and and they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, by not looking at news at news programming, uh, they're looking at it holistically rather than you know uh, individual uh, providers and different types of news. So it it can have a negative impact as well. The the reality of brand safety is that most of the media are, are brand safe, far more brand safe than digital. But that doesn't seem to stop budgets from flowing into the less brand safe and and the more fraudulent areas of media. Well, and also news is news is uh, one of the few remaining non-skippables running around. Yeah, and, news uh, and sports, and even sports with you know the red zone and fantasy, and you know that's changing too. So, uh, you know, we're not going to get through all our questions today, so we may have to have you back next year. Write marketers and agencies into this story in terms of what should they be doing to the ecosystem, in the ecosystem you just described, if they want to put their company in the best position to win? Uh, every And everyone's going to do the best possible math they can do. Because we, we, have to, we have to put it in, into a realistic context. Uh, the reality is that the owners of the budget, the brand and product managers at the, at the top 200, 300 national advertisers, spend less than 2% of their time on media, less than 10% of their time on advertising. They have priorities that are, they're responsible for uh, where, where 
whether it's packaging, e-commerce, retailer relationships, distribution, environmental, sustainability, media and advertising, they can off outsource and offset internally and externally. So the number one priority for brand marketers who really want to be a part of the of the future of, of advertising and marketing, start paying more attention to it. And, and to uh, General Motors, for example, has an, has a, an executive in their marketing department, uh, Brianne Bowles Marshall, who meets every week with media companies. Uh, it's, it's her job to be open to innovation and ideas from media uh, sellers. Everyone has access, heavy focus on diverse media there as well. Uh, so number one, start paying more attention to the generational shifts in the B2B realities of the industry, not just the consumer realities, that the people who are implementing on their behalf are tend to be younger, less experienced, don't have relationships. They have to take responsibility for building better and more relationships deeper into the media ecosystem. That's the number one job of the brand marketer who cares about their advertising. Got it. So we're almost out of time. So I'm going to give you a two-part question. You can take both parts. So fast. we, we oh, Boy, this went fast. Yeah. Well, it's fun. Uh, we can do both. You can do both parts or one, but you have to do at least one. Practical advice and or funniest story you would like to share with our listeners, of course, that you can share on air. Well, they, they tie together because the practical advice is be smart and build relationships. Uh, I have to go back to 1975. I was a sales manager at WPLJ Radio, FM, early FM radio. Our clients, some people in New York will remember Crazy Eddie. Crazy I've... Eddie was truly crazy. And every week I went out to Brooklyn to visit Crazy Eddie and the money guy, Uncle Eddie, uh, oh. because I had to pick up a check because no one – trusted him to pay his bills. So I was out there. I built a good relationship. And in the time, the two years that I'd been dealing with them, our rate, we had gone from number 15 FM market in the st FM station in the market to number three station in the market. And our prices uh, were, you know, far greater than Crazy Eddie had contracted and his two-year contract was up. And I had to get a big price increase. And uh, I went out there, I talked to him, did everything I could, couldn't do it. And I said to my boss, a guy named Larry Divney, who, you know, has been become legendary in the industry. And Larry and Larry and I drive out to Brooklyn. Uh, you know, there, there was it was the 70s, you know, it was rock and roll radio. Maybe we were doing a little something on the way out to Brooklyn. Uh, we get there and we sit in Uncle and Uncle Eddie in Crazy Eddie's office for an hour and a half, talking, Larry never brings up the price increase, never brings up the issue. Crazy said, you know, I'm not gonna pay your price increase. I'll give you a 20% increase, that's it. It was about a 200% increase we were talking to. I had offered them about a 100% increase that, so, but, we couldn't come down from that. And at the end of the hour and a half, Larry stood up, said, Eddie, Uncle Eddie, I just wanted to come out here to thank you for the last two years. 
It's been a great two years. You've been a great client. We can't, we just can't accept your advertising anymore, but good luck. I just wanted to meet you and say how much we appreciated your business. We stood up, we walked, it was on the second floor, we're halfway down the stairs, and we hear yelling from the office. I won't repeat the words that he said, get the back in here, you guys. You get, you'll get your increase. I love you. Thanks for coming out to say hello. It's a funny story. It's a true story. And it proves the value when you build a relationship and you put the relationship first ahead of the cost efficiency, you're going to get what you need. So that's my funny, my funny story, but it's really a relationship story. There you go. We won't talk any more about the drive either. So I think a great way. A great you can, way you can edit show. that out. <laughs> great way to end the show. Thank you, Jack. And thanks. Everyone. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everyone, for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on Evergreen, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include Protecting Your Business Integrity, Advice from a Chief Legal and Ethics Officer. A leading business thinker and futurist talks about what's next. Is the CMO position headed for extinction? And why is B2B marketing so bad and what to do about it? Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. 